This is a Media Lab podcast. You know, Dave, I have a feeling I know how this conversation is going to go this week. So I have a question for you, which is what makes a good children's film? Oh, well, uh, a lack of creepy adults is always good. <laughs> Boy, I have such a hard disagree. But okay, keep going. Keep going with uh, what you think it makes a good <laughs> well, a good kids film. Contextually. I think there has to be danger. There has yes, to be an element of fine. like, I, I am terrified of this. It's like the uh, judge. Oh, my gosh. The judge from uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit or sure. like Scar, for, uh, the killing Mufasa in The Lion King. Spoiler alert. But, you know, there has to be that sense of menace in a kid's film, I find. Uh, well, I don't mean uh, bad guys. I mean, you know, for example, an adult that inappropriately touches children as they walk by into his factory. And um, what's always nice is humor that's directed both at children and at adults. So you get a good chuckle because it's uh, slapstick and silly. But you also get a good chuckle because they make 80s puns uh, or nods at things that I would have seen growing up. I think mm. that's a plus. Otherwise, um, music's always good. You know, kids like to sing. I like to sing. Yes. You know, so it's good to have good music, but it's not good to have bad music. Well, you're being very specific. D Dave, what is your favorite kids movie then? Like, what are the things you keep returning to? Yeah. How do you define a kids movie? Well, that's another question mm. too sometimes. Uh, like, for example, I don't believe Pixar movies are kids' movies anymore, so uh, I'll scratch them all off. Kids' movie, kids' movie. I don't know. I, I've been watching a lot of those made-for-TV movies on Disney+, and I'm enjoying them. I liked... Uh, like the like the brandy version of Cinderella? Uh, no, that's too old. He, okay. We watched, like, Magic Camp, and... Uh, oh, boy. Yeah, enjoyed that. And uh, there is no way in 50 years that that is going to hold up. No, at all. it hardly holds up now. But, you know, in the sitting of it with my son, it's fun. So that, you know, that's mm -hmm. the problem as an adult. Uh, sorry, as a parent, I don't know how to contextualize that question. Well, I guess. So the follow up question, I guess, to that then is so you're watching all this crappy Disney stuff. Is there uh, th anything that came out of your mouth? It, well, you're like I'm, such I... a Disney fanboy. As... <laughs> Editorializing here. <laughs> is there any film? that you have shared with your son that he has actually enjoyed? Like something that you really liked as a kid, you shared with him and he's like, oh, I also like this dad. Oh, wow. I wasn't prepped for these. I, I don't know. I don't know how to answer that question. Let me think. Oh, uh, Spider-Verse. He loves Spider-Verse. Mm -hmm. um, but that's not something you watched in your childhood either. Me? No. Oh, are you talking about yeah. like that I was nostalgic about that I shared yes. with him? Okay. Uh B -b 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 French connection, probably right. You probably shared that with him. <laughs> He's a big he 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 puts on the Popeye hat. Yeah, you know? he loves Popeye Doyle. <laughs> he hasn't watched Transformers the movie, the greatest animated film of all time yet. Uh, <laughs> Orson Welles' greatest role. <laughs> <laughs> like you haven't watched any of those '90s Disney films, like Lion King or. Yeah, I don't know, yeah. Anything like that? He liked Lion King, but Helen has an undue influence because she likes all the remakes too, and I think they're fucking oh. garbage. So, so I, I don't remember. I mean, he liked Lion King. We were at a cottage with my sister, and they watched their, like the people who rented it had a VHS copy clamshell. So we watched mm -hmm. that, and he enjoyed that. But he was three and a half, so did so he he'll like anything? Yeah, he'll like did anything he enjoy it, or did he just enjoy right. hanging out with people? Um, I have noticed as he gets older, 
he gets really upset when there's violence to a character mm. or if a child character loses their parents or is left alone. Right. Uh, so again, there's layers here because there are some movies where I think he can handle. We watched Godzilla and uh, King Kong versus King Kong right. together, but he couldn't watch Raiders of the Lost Ark or um, or we tried to watch uh, Pacific Rim. I don't know. They mm. seem similar to me. They're not kids' movies, but maybe reframe this to get to the point you're trying to make because I'm talking too much about not knowing. No, I'm, I'm, I'm just curious. <laughs> I, I think we'll talk a little bit more about this in the actual episode. I want to have that like starting off place mm. because uh, I know that you are going to be the negative person on this podcast of this beloved film that we're going to be watching <laughs> this week. So I just want to set that base level of what are good kids films um and behind the scenes we have a lot of uh time constraints so we're filming this out of order and i needed to do something no that's good and as we are learning as we know and is kept uh, it, and it keeps coming up i am the negative nancy so uh mm -hmm. you know it's okay i can deal with it i'm well, ready let's, let's not throw nancy's under the bus <laughs> uh, okay dave <clears throat> you know i'm just gonna put on this uh, top hat and this uh, crushed velvet uh, suit jacket and i feel I feel a song coming on, Dave. Come with me and you'll be in a world of pure, deep, and rich fiction. Take a look and you'll see into your podcast application. We'll begin with 99, traveling through the world of film creation. What you'll hear will defy consternation. If you want to ask our advice, simply tap on play and listen. Any year you want to find bliss in, then subscribe to us. Our eyes will glisten. I can keep going. I have rhymezone.com open on my computer right now. I'm amazed. I'm amazed. I'm, uh, did you use consternation as a... I did. I did. Wow. With film creation is what I rhymed <laughs> that with. <laughs> Clearly an English major. We'll see, uh, right. we'll see how many complaints we get. I actually find my favorite rhyme here is that I rhymed bliss in with glisten. <laughs> Glisten is also a word that has lost its uh, chutzpah yeah. in modern language. It's too, it's too pornographic, Kyle. On a rinky-dink spaceship headed back to Earth, Kyle and Dave are stuck on board with an evil machine. This giant robot is forcing them to watch films it picks. If they don't obey, then it'll be the end of the world. Again. This is mostly Kyle's fault, but he's not going to face an apocalypse alone, especially not on this ship that seems to be held together with tape and imagination. This is Kyle and Dave versus The Machine. Welcome to Kyle and Dave vs. The Machine. My name is Kyle. My name is Dave. And I'm The Machine. This is a podcast where a sentient machine was forcing us to watch movies in order to prevent it from initiating the apocalypse. And then another apocalypse happened. Somehow it has used its powers to transport us across time and space. So now we're on our way back to Earth. The machine still threatens our lives if we don't review the films it asks us to. Although we do tend to talk about the ideas of the movie rather than the movie itself. And today... We're going to be watching the film Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. How does it make you feel to be the first golden ticket finder? I'm a... Mike, the country wants to hear from you. The world is waiting. Can't you shut up? I'm busy. You're a real mean father. You never give me anything I want. I won't go to school till I have it. Violet. Call it, Mother. Open it, Charlie. Let's see that golden ticket. 
Wouldn't that be fantastic? It's not fair to raise his hopes. Never mind. Go on, open it, Charlie. I want to see that gold. Stop it, Dad. I've got the same chance as anybody else, haven't I? I never dreamed that I would climb over the moon in ecstasy, but nevertheless, it's there that I'm shortly about to be. Because I'm you know, Dave, uh, I do want to know what your history is with this movie. But I thought that maybe what we could do, instead of uh, just relying on ourselves to talk about this like storied British classic, that we should actually get some people from the UK on the podcast to give us their two cents. So let me use the old space phone here. I'll dial it up. Uh, Sean and Mitch, are you there? Good evening. <laughs> Amazing. Holy shit, they're back. <laughs> came in hot here. Came in hot. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. How are we doing? It's amazing they wanted to be back. It's <laughs> great. We didn't offend them last time. We love time. you guys. Dave, you ruined Blair Witch for me. So <laughs> Dave ruins my life most days, actually. So um you keep coming back for it. So. Know, keep coming back. So Mitch and Sean of uh Whack Chat. Uh, thank you so much for for coming back onto the show here. Pleasure. What have you been up to in the last like six or seven months since we've talked? Oh God, yeah. loads. <laughs> yeah. yeah, in terms of um, whack chats, movie time has completely changed. We've gone completely away from podcasting and gone straight into YouTube, where we just fire up reviews, reaction videos, and uh, that's really worked out well for us. And it's um, it's taken our channel almost to a new level. Still seeing daily growth, weekly growth. So yeah, in terms of that, a lot. But in terms of the uh, pandemic hitting us, we've done. I've done nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I went to back to work two weeks ago. So uh, what was that like? Like weird. finally going back to work after like spacey. a month of being up. Yeah. That's the only way I can describe it. It's spacey. So I was I was furloughed pretty much just after we did the uh, the last video with you guys about two weeks after then. So maybe it was your mm -hmm. fault. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> could be actually. I'll, I'll take it. Would yeah. not be the first. But, yeah, and so uh, weird, just odd. I mean, it's great. Don't get me wrong. It's great being paid to stay at home, but it. <laughs> but you do get a little bit bored, and then when you face reality again, uh, it's just a bit weird. <laughs> I mean, you're all talking on a spaceship traveling at the speed of light back to Earth right now. Well, it is relative. There was actually a point, like two months in. Uh, during our like first lockdown where i was like i've convinced myself i think i've seen everything on netflix i think i've just watched it <laughs> so uh, i'm hoping do you have some time to watch and talk a little bit about willy wonka and the chocolate factory <laughs> oh, I, think yeah. we, I think we can fit some time in. there's always time to wonk some willies let's I'm, I'm, do it <laughs> you know i'm i'm always i'm waiting for the first time a guest is like actually no and just like vlogs <laughs> off the yeah. call <laughs> Uh, so I do want to know both of your like history with this property. Um, I mean, I have a deep love of like reading Roald Dahl as mm -hmm. I was growing up, but I, I like maybe I'm just no, don't know enough about this. But I'm uh, as I understand, like Roald Dahl is kind of a big thing still over in the UK. But uh, Mitch, why don't you start? Like, what's your history with like this film or just like Roald Dahl in general? So I mean, Roald Dahl is one of the biggest novel slash fiction writers from you know Britain of all time. My dad loved him, and so I, I grew up loving him as well. T tons and tons of books from Roald Dahl. And yeah, Willy Wonka was always an interesting one because obviously from our generation, you know, born 20, 20 and a bit years after this film came out, it was still the first sort of version of, of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory that we watched because that's the original book, isn't it? And the, the film, they actually 
change to Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Correct. I'm yeah. guessing to give Gene Wilder more of the front row. I don't know. But yeah, the, the film's odd. I think I think the film's odd because I have so much love and so much hate for it at the same time. Cool. It's, it's, it is a classic. And I think Roald Dahl also had an issue with it, didn't he? Oh, he sure did. Yeah, we'll talk about that. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, but o- overall, it is a classic. It's a timeless classic. The music's great. It's classic 70s, you know, yeah. song and dance music. The only thing I'd rather real gripe with are the accents. They, they, oh. they just flit all over the place. And you, you can't tell who's from where, <laughs> what, what that story's going to be. That is so fascinating. That's that is something some people. Well, at least I'll talk for myself over here in North America. Did not pick up on that at all. So that's interesting. <laughs> fair enough. Um, I, I, to be fair, I'm excited to hear what Sean says about this because I have no idea what his thoughts are. Yeah. How about, so, Sean, what is your, your relationship with this? This is a film that I watched tons as a kid. It was always on the telly. What um, Dad introduced me to this one, uh, and obviously with Roald Dahl, like Mitch said, it's in when you're in school. We just we, we read. Roald Dahl books like um, BFG was the biggest one for yeah. me. Always, I've read that tons. Um, but yeah, uh, since rewatching it, um, I thought it was a load of garbage. <laughs> okay, this is um, this is going to go I, down the same lines as last time. The same two see, people are going to like it, and the same two people are going to hate it. So this is perfect. The, the thing with me is I sh- I struggle with with older movies. I I just I can't I can't keep up with how bad the acting is a lot of the time. Unless it's set in space and it's Star Wars, I'm, I don't really have much interest in films in the 70s. We should invite them over more often because we're stuck in 71. This would have been a great social experiment. <laughs> well, l- l- to even this out, because I know kind of Dave's uh, opinion on this movie, uh, I'll, I'll just say myself. I, I, I came at this movie quite late, so I actually don't have a history of watching this film when I was a kid at all. So I don't really have like that uh, nostalgia for it in, in quite that same way. Huge Roald Dahl fan, though. Like I read... Like the witches, James and the Giant Peach, the Twits, uh, like all all of those books when I was the kid, when I was a kid. Also loved Quentin Blake's illustrations in those. I think they're also iconic. So there was something about it, and I think part of the reason why I loved Roald Dahl so much is the fact that it there was always like this little bit of menace in the books. Like there always felt like there was real danger to the kids, especially if you read the witches. Like he stays a mouse at the end of that book. He does not <laughs> magically turn back into a kid again, which is like weird to think about and so i had in my head uh that this happened like within the same couple of weeks but i did my research and found out it was actually eight months apart but that was two fox animated tv shows did parodies of willy wonka and maybe i saw a rerun or something and they did happen on the same night but the first was uh, an episode of futurama that does a parody of willy wonka uh, one of my favorite episodes actually with slurm and then uh, Family Guy also did a parody of Willy Wonka again a few months later uh, when they go to the beer factory. Like I, I hadn't seen the poster. I knew who Gene Wilder was from like my parents showing me all the old like Mel Brooks comedies. Mm-hmm. So I knew who Gene Wilder was. And for some reason, I just never watched this movie. And so when there was still a thing called Blockbuster, they used to have this deal. You could, you could rent 10 movies for $10 or something. It was some ridiculous thing that you could do. Uh, and so that, that was one of the movies I brought home when I was like, 1920 or something like that <laughs> coming back to visit my parents and that's when i watched this movie for the first time um and did i fell in love with it i really i really liked it uh i will agree with most of the acting being bad having now rewatched it again uh with the kind of the sole exception of gene wilder i think he's off in his own like little thing just doing his uh like sarcastic uh performance 
but I can't deny yet that the kids pretty much across the board are not the best of actors in this movie. Uh, but the songs are great. Uh, the jokes are bland for me and I'm still kind of a big fan of it. So Dave, tell me why I'm wrong. Well, you're always wrong. So we'll start off that way. <laughs> yeah. um, Listen, we can all agree Kyle is usually wrong. I don't know. I mean, I also grew up with the uh, role doll and unbeknownst to me until my adulthood, uh, he turns out to be a huge racist asshole, but you know, we'll, we'll move past <laughs> <Yeah>. that. <laughs> Um, what's interesting is when my son was born, I was so excited and I bought uh, the collector's set of Roald Dahl books. And I, my full intention is that my son needs to grow up on a, this hilarity that I thought was so forming personally. And when he was old enough, or actually before he was old enough to read, I started reading them with him and I was like, these are not kids books. They're, they're violent, they're brutal. And so there's a lot of... Uh, kind of overt racism, you know, this misogyny. It's like, sure. I, so I was reading it to my kid and I was like, ooh, so we'll skip that part. And I was like, <laughs> you know what? We're not going to read The Witches because he's starting to cry because this yeah. is a really <laughs> fucking weird book. Um, Helen tried to read The Great Glass Elevator and she had to close it because uh, they do the fake Chinese accents and yeah, yeah, it's awful. So <laughs> this movie I remember watching, it sounds like it, it's played more regularly uh, where you you guys live in Canada. Yeah. It's not it's not on anywhere. So I I didn't even know it was a TV movie. It makes sense though. It's, because, it's uh, more towards Christmas for some uh, reason. Yeah, it's always the candies period. I, I will say in the U.S. We'll we'll probably talk about this very briefly in the context setting. Uh, but in the U.S., it got actually super popular because it played on Thanksgiving for many, okay. many years. Yeah, it's festive yeah. So November-ish in, well, Actually, in it makes US. sense because it's written by a racist and that's a holiday celebrating <laughs> the death <laughs> of uh, yeah, the indigenous people. So that's good. Yeah, it worked out really well, America. Um, I loved the book when I was growing up. I don't like the book as much as an adult, as a father. And this movie, I remember not liking too much either. Have we watched it yet? We have watched it, right? Is that where well, we're Well, no, not, not in the fiction that we've created yet. Right, we're so, about uh, to watch it. I haven't watched it for a while, and it will be interesting to watch it now uh, to uh, have an opinion about it. Uh, okay, well, let's do this here then. Let's go and watch this movie. Uh, you and I, Dave, will go thank some sponsors, and then when we come back, we'll have a fuller conversation about Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Man, if if you had to make a chocolate factory of your own, Dave, uh, what kind of what kind of candies and sweets would you make? Well, I think I would uh, have a factory, and it mm -hmm. would produce chocolate. Not like a murder machine <laughs> for small children to come into. That would be my dream. No, I think just chocolate. Also, I can't have milk, so it would just be dark chocolate. Really, you can't have? Oh, because your body can't process yeah, it because right. your body is failing you. <laughs> Fuck you, Kyle, bastard. <laughs> Hit a sp sore spot. <laughs> Kyle and Dave were you didn't have didn't you have a chicken nugget for the first time here? Yeah, in like I didn't five get sick. Years? You know what? It it might be because I haven't had uh, the flesh of an animal for twelve years. So maybe that's uh, that's a thing. I'm ready. Give me that blood. Kyle and Dave vs. the Machine is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. Locally grown, community supported, the Alberta Podcast Network promotes and supports Alberta made podcasts and connects their audiences with Alberta based businesses and organizations. Uh, this episode of Kyle and Dave vs. the Machine is brought to you by the Northwest Fest International Documentary Festival running online from May 6th to 16th. So we are in it right now. You can go to that website right now and watch these documentaries. 
as long as you live in Alberta. Right now. Even though Northwest Fest, yeah. Even though Northwest Fest can happen in a movie theater this week, they've still put together an outstanding lineup of some of the year's best docs. In fact, this year, there are a whopping 40 feature films, plus 40 short films, available for viewing to anyone in Alberta. This is your chance to stream some of the hottest new docs from Canada and abroad, many of which are Canadian, international, and even world premieres. All access streaming passes, ticket packs, and single tickets are available now at northwestfest.ca. You like documentaries, don't you, Dave? You know what? I did that shorts package. At, are we allowed to name? Yeah. Yeah. At Cuff. The other one. Yeah. And, at the uh, Calgary Underground Film Festival. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. It's been a while since I sat down for a full doc. When I first stopped eating meat, that's all we watched because that was a big fad, you know, in the early 2000s. Mm -hmm. Everybody was making docs about the cows. <laughs> yeah. You know yeah. what? Yeah. There were a lot of uh, pro cow messaging. Now nobody cares. I, I have to say, I have to say, I mean, I can say this as a meat eater and have been someone who was raised on a farm. Cows are stupid. <laughs> They're the stupidest animals that may have ever lived ever. They are intent on killing themselves every single day. Like they get stuck in trees. They go and jump into the water and then can't get out. Like they are just dumb. So I don't have any problem eating them because they're stupid. <laughs> this is how I feel about chickens and birds. I watched, oh, I, it's not a cow. I watched a, a viral video of a woman jogger, I think, saving, I think it was a baby deer out of a rut and then immediately jumped back into it or something like that. Oh, it was a sheep. sheep it was a sheep. Right. Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah. <laughs> Sheep, super uh, why do we dumb. care about these animals? All right, let me read. Well, yeah, what are you talking to me uh, about this? <laughs> what are you talking Dave? about? This episode is also brought to you by Park Power, your friendly local utilities provider in Alberta. They offer internet, electricity, and natural gas with low rates, awesome service, and profit sharing with local charities. Park Power is owned by Chris Kozowski, who has a growing and well-deserved reputation for being a guy. Did I say that word? who has a growing and well-deserved reputation for being a guy who cares. If you're in the Edmonton area, you may have seen him around town in his signature bow tie, supporting local causes and boosting local business. He walks that talk with his business. It's why Park Power shares his profits with local charities. As a new customer, you can choose a community partner to receive 10% of the proceeds from your electricity bill, like the CK CKUA, like the CKUA radio network, Visit parkpower.ca slash CKUA to find out more. You think Chris likes cows? <laughs> well, I feel like I've been eating an everlasting gobstopper. I can't. Yeah. You're, you're clicking and popping and mushing <laughs> over there. Post-production. Post-production. <laughs> All right. Well, we have, we have made our journey to said chocolate factory. Um, I had a great old time watching slave labor make my my sweet treats so uh let's start with you sean what is your opinion of this movie from 50 years ago uh i mean in the time it came out is probably you know good um it was you know as as much as some of the bad stuff in it that you know doesn't isn't pc it's not like if this was to come out today you'd be in a lot of trouble whereas <laughs> you know in the 70s that sort of stuff it just all gets it's fine you know people just whatever mm -hmm. um but yeah, you know, the, the children acting, I feel like children acting from even now still struggles in a lot of stuff. But in this, it makes it really difficult to watch. Take nothing away from Gene Wilder. He plays a role well. I think he actually plays a role a lot better than the remake from um, Johnny Depp. 
the Oompa Loompas are fantastic. Uh, they really fit in well. <laughs> <laughs> I love their singing and uh, I love the darkness with them. You know, they just come in to take people away for good. That's right. <laughs> take children away from good. <laughs> evil children. Evil children. Not yeah, this, all children. Just yeah, the bad ones. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, just just evil children that want chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, I I just have to say, and this is maybe just a me thing. I find every time anyone eats something in this movie so revolting. Like it's just like they're always yeah. just like gorging them. So like they're stuffing it in their face. Like ah, we don't need to see this. That's the point of the story, though. It's about I the know. sins, right? It's it is, but it's just like it's not fun to watch either. Just like the movie, but well, uh, <laughs> Mitch, what are your thoughts? So. I'll, I'll point out a couple of things that made me laugh and then mm. a couple of flaws as well that I, I guess are worth talking about. So something that actually made me laugh, it's a tiny little bit and it's in the store, the candy store, where, and the guy, the guy who's running it actually calls one of the kids a wonker up and that made me laugh. <laughs> I was just like, it was a tiny little backhanded comment and I was like, yeah, yeah. Man, that was good, nice one. But let's, uh, right, so Charlie is like the best kid ever, right, isn't he? Right. If you're going to have a kid, you want Charlie to be your kid, right? He's just he's just lovely and caring and whatnot. He's surrounded by a bunch of benefit frauds. And this, I feel like, is the is yeah, the yeah, yeah. of the movie that really throws something out and you just go, what is going on here? Like, there's, there's actually a line that Grandpa Joe says, and he says, God, I can't wait to get better and, you know, help Charlie earn some money for the family. And then Charlie comes down with his golden ticket and he's like, bang, I'm up. <laughs> yeah i know like, come back <laughs> it's it's always a thing that like you really have to suspend your disbelief on because i think like the concept is that he's so enthusiastic that he begins walking again yeah but like man does that feel like uh you've been able to do this for a while <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's just, it just made me giggle i thought it, it was just a funny concept that he really wants to help the family earn some money but mm -hmm. not not really that much <laughs> Everyone wants to be Grandpa Joe when they grow up. Uh, Dave, lay it on me. Uh, yeah, I don't. Where do I start? Um, I'm flooded with criticism about this film. No, I, you know, I, I don't know. I think I hold my memory of the book too closely. So, uh, yeah, as soon as they come out and apparently Charlie's dad's dead, I'm like, no, I, I don't, I don't want to watch this anymore. It's so slow at the beginning. And uh, yeah. the candy store, the candy store owner is such a slob. He's fucking throwing candies all over the floor. No, he's not even collecting money. How do you operate a business like that? It's awful. In, like in, in, in my notes, I literally wrote down, "This is how you get ants." Because he's just like throwing candy <laughs> all over the singing place. Singing and it's also a massive health, massive uh, health and safety hazard. Oh yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Kids are like falling on the floor, and it, it was it was uh, it was weird. And like all seventies movies we've been watching, it's so much slower the pacing than we're used to. So even as a musical, and it's supposed to be fun loving, it's just it takes what is it an hour before they even get into the factory? It's it's, it's well, such a it's like, yeah, 45 minutes, I think. But yes, it takes a while to get to the chocolate factory. It feels like, and I didn't know this at the time, it feels like it was made for TV, like the scale of it and the tone. And it apparently was because uh, there's nothing uh, wide. There's nothing mm. kind of like, a, it's not a really fully built world. I feel like we were just in this one camera shot the whole way. And it made me feel a little bit, um, not bored, constricted. Uh, sure. would, would you yeah, be surprised? Okay. Would you be surprised, Dave, that the filmmakers that made this actually didn't make very many fiction films, that they were documentarians? 
No, the the opening sequence is like a like an old yeah. British or American documentary film. Because that know? is true. That's what they usually. That's what mostly they did was documentary work. Yeah, fifty yeah. Uh, five and what's that other one? And yeah, there's always kids running out of a school and into right. a store, or running home and like literally <laughs> following them, which is creepy. Yeah. Oh, and one other thing. Why does Gene Wilder and some of the parents have to keep touching the children so much? I know this is a 70s thing, but it is so weird. Like, they're coming through the gates and he's just like... It's very regular. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I didn't... I, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. know. I'm too I, sensitive. I think, I think he might be weirdo. for that. <laughs> yeah. He's, like, he is a weirdo. That is true. <laughs> it, well, th- th- this is another point I'll just bring up quickly. So, whilst I was watching this again, it makes you realize he's a little bit of a psycho. Oh, hundred so, percent. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He lives on. He lives on his own. Apparently, saved a uh, a race of people from somewhere that no one mm-hmm. actually knows where it is. <laughs> He's just saved them. And uh, there's this bit, and it's it's the bit where uh, Augustus gets stuck in the pipe. Mm-hmm. And he's it's actually quite sadistic. He, I think he says something along the lines of, "Oh, I wonder how long he'll be stuck in there." <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. What? <laughs> <laughs> what's going on yeah he likes he likes to watch wonka likes to watch yeah gene welder definitely plays it very cruel mm. like uh he's, yeah uh, but i have to say though like i i haven't read the book now for many many years mm. but that's also my memory of the book too is that willy wonka is a little bit sadistic in the book too i mean he's bringing children into basically off them and he doesn't <laughs> kill them but it feels like that's what he's doing yeah i don't I when I read the book recently my feeling was more that it's it's so christian you know it's like mm. he's got these tests and the person who's too gluttonous fails and the person that's too much wrath fails and the person yep. that's too vain fails but it's never like both the movies have this sense that they've planned it they've been watching these kids on tv right. like i'm going to fucking get you fat right. little shit and like i'm going <laughs> to you know and like i'm going to have this tube ready and you're fucking going like that so gene wilder in that moment you're watching him and i was like oh like it's like I mean, it feels premeditated right really yeah <laughs> i i will say the only character that i really feel antagonistic towards is veruca salt because like boy if i could punch a kid that would be the kid i'd want <laughs> to punch that is the one <laughs> She's good in it. <laughs> she is good. I, I can't deny. Like she's a yeah. spoiled brat, and she plays a spoiled brat. Yeah, absolutely for sure. Here's the thing: I have to be um, upfront. Like I, this movie still fills me with so much joy. I love it from start to finish. Yes, it's a it's a little bit slow at the beginning. I don't mind movies taking their time. This mm-hmm. might be a little bit too slow. So like this is not like a perfect film for me uh, in, in that regard. Everything that. Willy Wonka says is great to me. I love all his lines like candy is dandy, but liquor is quicker. You know, snozberries taste like snozberries. Oh, so, wait, slip flip that and reverse it. Yeah. Um, all those things like are so iconic as lines. It's great. Um, I also love every time like a kid is in danger. He's like, no, stop, don't. Like he's like, he has no, doesn't care about any of these people at all. And I, I think this thing is so funny. So there's like that. Yeah, that menace that that's there. As far as like overt criticisms go, uh, outside of the like slow pace of like the first half of this movie, because I honestly think once they get to the chocolate factory, it kind of moves to that pretty pretty quickly. Like I don't feel bored at that point. There's a scene that they add in that I think actually kind of ruins the theme of it, and it really bugs me every time I watch it. Which is the point where Charlie and his grandfather drink the pop, and then they start floating up, and it's like cool for like the the whatever the um uh, special, special effects. effects of it of it all yeah but in the book it's just oompa loompas who drink that 
and they float up. And at the end, Charlie is given the factory because he was the only kid who didn't go against the rules that Willy Wonka had set out. Yep. And in the movie, it really doesn't make sense that he gives it to Charlie because now every child has actually gone against the rules that he set out. So they have to make up that weird thing at the end where he lies to him and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, this doesn't really feel as good. And Charlie is literally like the most perfect kid in the entire world. I would love it if they would give him something, some sort of uh, thing that we could be like, okay, so he's not completely perfect as a kid. Like a tick. Yeah. yeah. Like something. <laughs> something. Nah, you can't have that. That kid's not real. <laughs> yeah. I, I like that. Yeah. An eye patch. You just have to wear an eye patch. And you <laughs> scowls. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this, this, I actually don't think I will uh, slightly disagree. I, I love the, um, the length of the build up mm. in the opening. That for me is what really sets a film. And I do, I do think in modern day cinema, everything is too quick. I love it, has to be though. Yeah, I know it does. And that's, it's, it's so frustrating for me because I like watching build ups to films and I like seeing it, the, the introduction to characters that aren't rushed. And that's what I love about this. It's not, you know, it takes ages. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I think that we, for me personally, I, I kind of agree with you more, Mitch, where it's, it's the pendulum is almost going too far one way. It's like, I don't need every movie to be like this much build up, but I also don't need it to be like so quick that like, okay, I don't even know who any of these people are yet. Like, let's give some time to this. There has to be like a happy medium, I think, sure. uh, on both yeah. of those ends. The problem with big build-ups nowadays, Mitch, uh, is that if they have a big build-up to the characters and the film's going to be three hours long. That is true. And we complain every time the film is three hours long. That is true. We want want Lord of the Rings. Give us extended (laughs) Extended edition. Yeah, do it. I tried Uh, back to back to back. It's like, was that 14 hours? Oh, something. It's like long if you do it. And don't give us cosmic sin. (laughs) (laughs) Um, i i also point out too as the uh, i actually don't know about either of you uh mitch or sean but i am like a huge fan of musicals so again i just have to call it i do think that this has some great music (laughs) inside of it Um, all of it mostly works for me even uh, even the oopaloopa songs which i think are fun and i think are the only thing that are from the book are the oopaloopa songs from the book yeah the verses are the same verses are right yeah and i i did i mean yeah well I did like the Oompa Loompa bits as creepy as they were. Those are appropriately creepy because right. in the book, they're kind of milling around or a part of the environment. Um, <laughs> right. And then the imagination song, whatever that thing's called. Pure, I pure imagination. I didn't even realize that was from this film and oh, yeah. that's that's a classic. But, it's now uh, a car commercial. So you can, I forget what <laughs> car brand that was, but they use that song as part of their campaign. But everything priests like the Candyman song, I didn't, I didn't understand why that was in there. The mom singing something about being poor. Cheer up, Charlie. Cheer up, let's, Charlie. Yeah. Let's move on. Like, I, just forwarded, I forwarded through that song. I was like, yeah. let's, let's get past that. It's all, not all, set up right. All of you are heartless. That's all I'm going to say. Um, <laughs> all right. I was just a bit boring. <laughs> My favorite song from the movie is Truly Scrumptious. Let's do some backstory here then, just to kind of get up to speed with like some of the context that's going on. Uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory was released on June 30th, 1971. Uh, currently, it's rated 7.8 on IMDb, 67 on Metacritic. And then on Rotten Tomatoes, from 29 critics, it's at 86%. And from uh, 2,500 plus users, it's at 71%. Wow. That's high. Yeah. Exceptionally high. Uh, this is beloved, Dave, a beloved film. Uh, I might even it, use the word overrated. Well, maybe we'll see. Uh, it is available on DVD and Blu-ray. Uh, you can buy or rent it on iTunes or YouTube. At least in Canada, it is not streaming anywhere currently, but uh, 
if the new Netflix deal has anything to say about it, I'm sure it's probably going to come back onto that service here pretty soon. We've got it out of the head. Oh, see, look at that. It was on Canadian Netflix until like two months ago, and I was so uh, mad that when I went to watch, like, oh, I have to pay for this? Okay. <laughs> its budget was $3 million in 1971. It would make $4.5 million, which is $29 million in today's dollars. Uh, but with that budget and that uh, intake, that would have, it was not a great success financially. That would have basically lost money after like marketing and all that kind of stuff. Its uh, plot description is, uh, a poor but hopeful boy seeks one of the five coveted golden tickets that will send him on a tour of Willy Wonka's mysterious chocolate factory. Uh, it stars Gene Wilder as Willy Wonka, Peter Ostrom as Charlie, Jack Albertson as Grandpa Joe, and Julie Don Cole as Veruca Salt. Dave, do you have anything to say? Or not just Dave. Does anyone have anything to say about any of those actors? I know Charlie's never done anything since. No, he became a dentist, weirdly yeah. enough. Yeah. Which is irony. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I wasn't Willy Wonka's dad, like a super dentist. (laughs) I know. That's such a weird addition to that Tim Burton movie. There's like, why why does his dad have to be a dentist? Anyways, that's a complete tangent. Are we going to, we should talk about that piece of shit. We will. We'll we'll do it at the end. Yeah. No, I don't know. Gene Wilder's famous. I didn't do the backstory, so the usual. Yeah, yeah I don't think good. a lot of these people went on to do much of anything. I, I, I should have checked it out too. I don't know how like the grandpa, uh, grandpa Joe specifically. Like, I don't know Jack Albertson if he was like big in like the say like the forties or anything like that. Them, obviously, a lot of them aren't with us anymore. Pretty much any of the grandparents. I, I, the mum's no longer with us. I know a couple. Gene of, Wilder yeah, passed away only a couple of years ago. Some of the kids aren't aren't with us anymore. I, I think I can't remember who it was. One of them unfortunately passed from a seizure. There's. Mm. There's not, there's not many left, which is... I know, it's weird. Well, it's especially weird because, like, bizarrely, like, we've been doing so many of these 1970s films where some of the actors are, like, still working today. It's like, that's 50 years ago. Like, that's yeah. wild. Like, this 30-year-old who's now, like, 80 or 90 is still working in Hollywood. So some, some movies just don't have that... Uh, stay power for the actors and actresses again i'll just say quickly like gene wilder of course like i knew him for a lot of his comedy roles but he was like he hasn't he didn't make a movie for like the last 20 years of his life like really although does anyone know the story about bielberg and wanting gene wilder for ready player one no he was he was supposed to be the role that um like oh, the, I think I did the overhead that, yeah. role uh yeah, yeah, yeah he wanted him to be that and basically play like willy wonka again yeah because he was too ill though, he? was signed on to do it and then he passed away so oh. that wasn't kind of a cool i think last last hurrah i'm trying to remember who the bad guy in that was well he's not really the bad guy uh, um oh god what is his name I'm, why am i blanking on his name this movie was written by Roald Dahl, sort of. We'll talk about that in a bit. Based on the book, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory by Roald Dahl and directed by Mel Stewart. So Roald Dahl, uh, no matter whether you love him or hate him, does have a huge legacy. Born in 1916, hugely influenced by Rudyard Kipling and Charles Dickens. And as with so many people of this time period that we're talking about, uh, fought in World War II, was a pilot, actually. So he actually flew on some missions. Um, he would write a biography about that years later that was actually very well received. Uh, but as he re- is returning into civilian life at the end of the war, he started writing stories and publishing. Uh, and it wasn't just kid stuff at the very beginning. He was actually writing very adult fiction at the same time, stuff that would like appear in Playboy, for instance. But it's really his children's content that has really remained relevant at all over the last decades. Uh, one critic wrote the following about why Dahl is so loved. Uh, she said, he was unequivocal that it is the good, young, and kind who triumph over the old, greedy, and wicked. So basically, he gave hope to people 
Uh, at least that was her interpretation. So besides him being an anti-Semite is what I wrote in my next sentence. For his part, Dahl did have these eight rules that he tried to adhere to. Just add chocolate. Adults can be scary. Bad things happen. Revenge is sweet. Keep a wicked sense of humor. Pick perfect pictures. Films are fun, but books are better. And food is fun. So those were his like little eight rules that he used to like write his stories. Not a bad lifer. Yeah, life. no, it's great. <laughs> Even though we are a film podcast, it's like, those are fun, but books are better. Uh, So we talk about that a lot this year, how adaptations are failing us. Um, Mm. Oh, and it was Ben Mendelsohn. No, no, that's not who I'm thinking of. That's it's. Are you talking about the old man? The old guy who created the whole like uh, VR stuff. Mark Rylance. Mark Rylance. He was supposed to be the Mark Rylance character. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So to put into context, 1971, Roald Dahl had written James and the Giant Peach. Mm-hmm. And Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Those are the only two books that had come out by 1971. So a lot of his like big stuff has, was yet to be published. Mm. Charlie, this, the whole story, was inspired by real events when he was growing up in 1920s England, where the two biggest chocolate makers, Cadbury and Roundtree, would routinely send packages to kids for feedback, apparently, which wish I could live there. Uh, and they would have, actually, this is real, would send spies to each other's factories to try and steal recipes so they could compete with the competition. <laughs> so we add that on that doll just loved like big machinery and stuff like that. And that's kind of like his inspirations to write this story. Originally, in some of the rough drafts, there were nine kids who would go into the factory. My theory is that that was probably very much like the um, Seven Deadly Sins and Charlie. And he was probably really playing around with that. But eventually pared down to the five kids that are in the book and in the movie. Uh, Slugworth who is kind of the villain in this movie, doesn't do that in the book. He's just mentioned as being another chocolatier. It does seem like the book was pretty popular pretty uh, instantly, which is why it was wanted to be adapted in the first place. The director, Mel Stewart, and I looked it up, this is literally the only film of his that I have name recognition of. None of the other things, like I have no idea what this movie even is. For and good reason. The reason is, is because he mostly made documentaries. <laughs> that, that's why. Yeah. It's like documentaries that I've never seen and like aren't played anymore. That's how he knew David Wolper, who is the producer of this movie, who also did mostly documentary work. And kind of a fun fact, in this year, he won the Academy Award for Best Documentary Feature. So he made Willy Wonka, won the Academy Award for Best Documentary Feature. It's about bugs. It's just a documentary (laughs) about bugs. Mel Stewart uh, basically started down this road of making this movie mostly because his daughter was reading the book and she just said, you should make a movie out of this. And so he did. There have certainly been worse reasons to make a movie. This is the wild thing. This is maybe one of the first times where it's like a company marketing a movie through like other products because Wolper, the producer was already in talks with the Quaker Oats company to make a documentary, I think, about them, is what I understand. And some sort of project he wanted to work on with Quaker Oats. When he knows that his friend, Mel, wants to make this movie out of the book by Roald Dahl, he persuaded the food company, Quaker Oats, to buy the rights to the book and then finance this film. Uh-huh. So this is made by Quaker Oats. This, this movie was made by Quaker Oats. <laughs> we wish it was made by Quick Oats. <laughs> that product wasn't out yet it wasn't yeah. out yet yeah so they had literally like no experience doing this like quick roads didn't have any experience like making movies so they make a subsidiary company called the willy wonka candy company and then produced a bunch of candiest tie-ins so when the movie re- was released they people would go out and actually buy the candy from willy wonka now here's where it can, gets a little bit 
divisive because it depends on who you talk to. The producers and the directors say that from day one, this was conceived as a musical and Roald Dahl disagrees with them. <laughs> so I don't know who we believe doesn't, in this case. Doesn't se- Like, what do you guys think? It doesn't seem like it. It, it, it doesn't, like yeah, the, it, it feels like this music is kind of integral into what they're doing. No, I, I think it, it felt shoehorned in for me, but I, uh, I what do you guys think? I agree with you on this one, Dave. It's one of, when I think of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, I don't think musical. Hmm. And I think that that is sort of the pinnacle thing, isn't it? When you think of, I don't know, something like more, a lot more modern, The Greatest Showman, you would say, you know what I mean? Because there's tons of music in it. It's all well written. And I kind of feel like the story of Willy Wonka is so large that the music trying to infuse that or back it up as opposed to actually distracting. You know, it's interesting because I actually have sometimes this criticism of modern Disney animated films mm-hmm. where where it's like they do a musical for like the first 45 minutes and then don't have a song for like the last half of the movie. I'm just like, well, make it a musical or don't, but don't do like this weird like half and half thing. You talk about the slowness of the first half of this movie. Well, Roald Dahl was slow himself because he was writing the script, but he was too slow. So they basically hired this other guy, David Seltzer, to come in and basically rewrite a lot of this movie behind the scenes. So he's uncredited, but he did a lot of the actual writing of this movie. So it's interesting because this was not Roald Dahl's first screenplay. He had already written You Only Live Twice, uh, the James Bond film where Sean Connery pretends to be a Japanese man. In a ve- <laughs> and I will say in a very culturally appropriate and respectful way. Yeah, there's not nothing like all. some good yellow face. Yeah, that's what we want. Are we watching that or is that the no, year no, before? No, no, that's a that's, uh, year before. Yeah, yeah. let's go to 1970. It, just it so might be... It might be my least favorite of the Sean Connery films, to be honest with you. Uh, but he also wrote Ch- Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. So Roald Dahl also wrote that movie too, uh, which is also, also based on an Ian Fleming book. So he basically did these two Ian Fleming adaptations and then was doing Spies this. everywhere, man. Spies everywhere. Then what happened uh, where I think Dahl started to like really push away and like disregard this movie completely is that he really wanted a specific actor to be Willy Wonka and was essentially overruled. We'll get to that here in a moment. Uh, I just wanted to briefly talk about the songs. So this was done by uh, Leslie Brickus and Anthony Newley, the rare songwriting team where they both worked on music and lyrics, because usually it's one person who does music, one person who does lyrics, and they kind of both worked on it at the same time. They had extensive careers both together and apart. Probably, maybe, I don't want to speak for anyone, but probably no one on this podcast, but someone might know their musical called Stop the World, I Want to Get Off. But Newly would become like a pop star in the UK for a while. Brickus made his name by doing a bunch of movie themes, specifically Goldfinger, You Only Live Twice, the love theme from Superman, and then a bunch of songs from Victor Victoria. Going back to those actors, almost every single one of the Monty Python guys was considered for the role. Um, But they were considered not famous enough in 1971 to do it. That would have been funny. John Cleese. John Cleese, (laughs) I think, would have done it. He would have been really angry and mean. I reckon he would have been quite good. Yeah, I, I honestly think like him or Eric Idle would have could have pulled it off, to be yeah. honest with you. But Junkley's just too tall to be <laughs> towering <laughs> over these people. Imagine yeah. him doing the role at the front, though. That been- yeah, right. <laughs> In that yeah. era, he would have. He was quite right. lithe when they started <laughs> out. He's just old now, apparently. <laughs> Dahl wanted Spike Milligan. Do either of you know who Spike Milligan is? Yeah, he's also a writer, writer, novelist, and poet. He did a lot of poetry. Okay. Um, a lot of sarcastic poetry. Spike Milligan, correct me if I'm wrong again, he's also British. Um, yes, he is. Yeah. This is why I, that's why I'm asking you because I like this name has no recognition for oh, me whatsoever. 
absolutely massive or yeah it was yeah. mainly sarcastic poetry um but it's really good writing really really good yeah. writing it's definitely worth I still enjoy reading it now. Again, okay. and that's through my dad. He, he grew up reading him. The, the only thing when I was looking at his like output, the only thing that I'm familiar with, though I've never listened to it, is The Goon Show. Like He was responsible for that, which was like on radio. Yeah. Yeah, I, I never really watched it, but I, I do recommend what, uh, reading his stuff for sure. Yeah, if it's sarcastic poetry, I need to Google him. Dave, you will love it. You will absolutely <laughs> love it. It's really good. Yeah. <laughs> Peter Sellers also really wanted to do this role, but producers didn't want. I, I'm guessing that was maybe a budget thing where they probably couldn't afford Peter Sellers in 1971, <laughs> is what my guess is. He would have been a great Wonka, too. So Park goes eventually to Gene Wilder, mostly because he actually pitched that exact scene we just talked about of him like uh, limping out, his like uh, walking stick gets stuck, and then he does the tumble. Like he said, like that's how you have to do it because he was like, this will set the tone. So that nobody knows what's real and what isn't for the rest of the movie. On its release, the film received fairly positive reviews, um, but didn't do super well at the box office. And it was really not until the mid-70s, where it started being broadcast on television. And in the U.S. specifically, it was on Thanksgiving night that it became like kind of a tradition each, each year. Tradition. And, that, right, and that's where it gained popularity. So it's really because of TV that this movie has had the legs that it's had over like the next few decades. It received only one Academy Award nomination uh, for best scoring, but lost to Fiddler on the Roof that year. So tradition. That, that is the uh, that's the backstory there. I guess I'll throw it back to to you both. Why do you think that this does have the uh, staying power? Like it's a fifty year old movie, and people do still watch this movie. It's not like it's some forgotten classic from the seventies. Uh, I think I personally think it's because of the magical element behind it it's it's very original and with these with these writers from 50 60 years ago things that have transpired first into film have have essentially set the the premise of magical elements and i think especially it's it's such an original story you can still watch it and say it's weird and wacky but wonderful and even even simple simple bits like when they first enter and they get stuck in a little room and then they walk out and it's like oh it's a huge hallway with but they're slowly getting into this huge door that's actually tiny and right stuff like that it's just that creates uh, an element of surprise and also wonder that i think people enjoyed especially in the 70s because it was all new but however if that film was now created today it would be so obvious and people would be so bored they you know they They'd, they'd know what to expect. Take note, Tim Burton. Yeah. Um, <laughs> how about you, Sean? Like, obviously, like you, you're not a big fan of this movie, but why do you think people still watch it then? Uh, I think people still watch it purely because of the actor, uh, Gene, being in, in like the pole position for it. And I think because he's got such a big mark on a lot of people's lives in the 70s and in that era, they've passed it down. Like for, for me and Mitch, you know, it was part, it's a film that's passed down. We watched it on the telly. I think you'll see it slowly disappear now because mm. in thinking about it, I haven't seen or heard this film mentioned in God knows how long. Right. I can't remember the last time I actually saw this on telly myself in this country. I don't think any of the channels would want to put it on anymore. It's too risky. It's too much backlash. So I think, I think as much as it has stayed, I think you'll see it start drifting away. Just do what I do and forget every movie you watch. I mean, I, I brought a question that I've really been thinking about over like the last week, knowing that we were going to talk about this movie. 
at least a dozen or so like animated films from like decades ago that I feel like are still talked about, watched, etc. But boy, I cannot think of very many live action movies made for kids that are really still watched by children today. Mm. Um, like I like I'll, I'll this, this is very like anecdotal. I realize, but like my niece and nephew, seven and three. Like they barely will watch like 2D animated films because they think they look too old. So like there's no, there's they they don't even want to go back that far. So the, to, for me to think that they'd sit down like we want to watch Willy Wonka tonight is like so outside yeah. of the realm of possibility to me. Um, and I'm wondering why that is. Why is it that live action seems to date itself faster than even animation I does? I don't think it is just live action. I think it applies to growing up in general because. Even when I was growing up and, you know, my dad had put anything on, whether it was a cartoon, whether it was something from the, you know, the 50s, I'd be like, what is this rubbish? The audio is terrible. You just, you can't deal with it as a kid because it's not engaging enough. Everyone's got the same British commander voice. Oh, yes. Hello. Ha. You say you say that, Mitch, but you enjoyed Willy Wonka, which came out thirty years before you (laughs) came. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and and I love Star Wars. My dad showed me Star Wars, came out in the seventies. I don't think I don't think yeah, I think you're wrong there. (laughs) Fight me. (laughs) (laughs) All right, we're gonna you're so wrong. (laughs) We we need a bell. Ding ding ding. 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 (laughs) Um But well it's something that I keep coming back to because as a like for me personally, like I don't necessarily have that barrier to entry to watch older films. There's many black and white films I consider some of my favorites. But I think there is a general feeling. Star Wars, maybe Jaws in 75 is like as far mm-hmm. back as people are kind of willing to travel back to before it's like, no, this is too old and too like out of date for me to really enjoy. I, no, I, I think we talked about this in one of the films earlier this season, but there is a magical line where a film becomes historical or seminal. You could still show somebody singing in the rain, Casablanca, even Orson Welles' uh, Citizen Kane at a certain age level. And it, there's something timeless. And whether it's something technical or an auteur thing or an approach to film, you don't even need a lot of backstory to technical filming details. They just hold up. This is not one of those movies. And this thing is existing based, I think, because the books are actually still well regarded. Mm. And so everybody's got some relationship to at least one Roald Dahl book. And so Charlie and Chocolate Factory, as, as you guys brought up, is this crazy, wacky thing. It's got Christian parable undertones. It's got a, a, super, like a, a Christian fucking hero who's like impervious to sin. We've got, <laughs> um, you know, we've got uh, all of it, right? Fantastical beasts, made up words. It's silly. It's sarcastic. Uh, you know, so if we put aside who Roald Dahl might have been on a personal level, that book generally still holds up. It's very readable today. Uh, unlike, you know, not all of his books are, but this film is just light. It's just dragging behind that. It's it's a, it's awake. It's it's like I agree. With, uh, it's going to disappear. It, I'm surprised it hasn't disappeared. And like movies like what was a shit movie was like Payback. You can't get anywhere. And that's still a fun, you know, 90s film noir. And this thing is available on every streaming service and should not be watched ever again because it's <laughs> awful. Yeah. I, feel, I feel, I don't know if this is with everyone else, but as I get older, I, for example, where Sean, you've mentioned Star Wars. Funnily enough, the first Star Wars I saw was Phantom Menace. Okay. Ooh, now, don't yeah. shoot me for saying that. But because that was the first one I watched, when I then went to watch the older ones, I really struggled because. It was slow. 
really, really slow compared to Phantom Menace. Shut up, shut <laughs> Where the choreography of like the, the lightsabers and all that sort of stuff was so, so powerful in Phantom Menace. I struggled to watch the old one. Yeah, but, but you're as facing I got older, choreographed. the story is so much better. The stories are better. The stories no, are better. That's what I'm saying. But when, you're, when I'm younger, I couldn't get behind a story. I got behind everything quick and, you know, relatively engaging. Whereas as I've got older, I can now go back and I can watch them and I can enjoy them for the story just because of what they are. But you struggled with them. It's, I don't know, Star Wars is shot did. better than Phantom Well, I mean, I, I, I think you're, you're hitting on, on two important things, which is one, I think it does matter when you, which one you see first. I, I, yeah. This is, because like, you just have that, like, this is the thing. This is the one that I Absolutely, grew up with. Yeah. Um, but I do also think that it's true that sometimes you do have to approach movies at, at, at a certain age. There's movies that I've watched in theaters or when I was a teenager or whatever it happens to be, and then my opinion of them flips if I rewatch them. And it's gone both ways where it's like, oh, I really like this movie. And then I rewatch them like, oh, no, I do not. And the other one's like, I, I didn't like this movie. Rewatch it. And it's like, oh, actually, there's like, some great stuff in here. I just wasn't ready to understand everything that was mm -hmm. going on. So sometimes age does play a part in it, too. Oh, it does. Don't, don't rewatch Mortal Kombat or Blade. <laughs> oh, we yeah. did. We did. Oh, the original one? Holy shit, right? Oh, my so, God. Oh, my God. That's so bad. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Shay, I didn't mean to interrupt you. It was so you. Bad. <laughs> God, they were supposed to have like superpowers, but they just didn't do anything. They no, were, it was, so it was like they were supposed to have powers that weren't you. When the movie came out, uh, I was on a like a football to soccer team, and we took the team to see it just before a major tournament. And we left that theater screaming, chanting how fucking awesome an experience it was. And then <laughs> it was on streaming, like I saw it two years ago, and I just I felt so ashamed that I had spent money <laughs> in the theater for this thing. It's uh, awful. We're done here. Yeah, the machine has asked us to, to, to wrap this up. Um, I'm going to skip over quick. my the, the critics, what they thought at the time. I will say, uh, Ebert does think this is a, a great movie, and Pauline Kael doesn't like it, which is basically par for the course that we've seen back in like contemporary critics at the time. Um, I do want to ask, though, the question to everyone. So does this hold up, and is it still culturally relevant? Mitch, why don't you go first? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with yes. And whilst I do think it's close, uh, I'm going to say yes. I still think it's culturally relevant because there are still some very cool old British tangents that are in this film. And some of that stuff I really like from the news reporter and what he wears and all the sort of costumes, even to the, you know, the, the candy store with just the way everyone's super happy in them. You know, it's a good, it's a positive thing. But no, I, I do think it is going to unfortunately fade out of time and uh, into the abyss. I'm watching Sean's face and I'm thinking, it's a good thing you guys aren't in studio together. I think Sean would have punched <laughs> you in the face already. But <laughs> uh, No, this is not culturally relevant in any way, shape or form. And uh, no, it does not hold up at all. Um, it probably didn't hold up much in 1971. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, cult, cultural relevant no i don't i don't think anything about this film is relevant to today in any way shape or form yeah i'm gonna slightly disagree probably although it's gonna be interesting when i give my score with, with what i'm about to say does it hold up um i am gonna say no I, I don't think it holds up to like a modern lens but i do still think it's actually culturally relevant um and maybe that's just the dullness of it or the 
uh, the longness of it, which it, which still gets, I think is buffeted by the book sales and stuff like that. As we'll see here in a moment, there's a lot of stuff being adapted here very soon that is going to involve Willy Wonka. But before I tell that story, Dave, what, what's your answer to those two questions? I think it's, it's pretty obvious. I, th- I think this movie is a piece of shit. I, I think uh, Roald Dahl put it best, which is, you know, the books are better. This book, for the most part, at least this one holds up very well. It's very... It's very good, as I mentioned before. Yeah, this this movie's a bit of a head scratcher. I don't understand why. Actually, no, you know what we're seeing? Sean's right. We're seeing people just don't give a shit about this movie anymore. It's not on television. And it's preserved, um, apparently, who, who in the watches American television Library anymore, con- though? Well, I, I mean, it's true. But I, you know what? We'll call Netflix and we'll get some right. uh, stats about Give how me many Mr. Netflix actually- on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> Bobby Netflix, tell me about your stats. Uh, yeah, the the tone, the way it's shot, it's it's exceedingly strange. Uh, in the PC culture we live in today, you know, the way that the people interact with each other is very awkward. Um, it's exceptionally whitewashed, and I just I don't know. I didn't enjoy it. Like I didn't leave thinking that I had a fun time. And uh, as a Roald Dahl person, like who grew up with it. The the change is like having a Slugworth spy test character is so strange. He's so creepy, very Cold Warish, you know. Yeah. Like giving him a scar and whispering to children and being everywhere. It's it's just a strange. It was a very strange experience. It's uh, difficult, isn't it? Because a lot of a lot of you know movie adaptations do that to books, yes. and even some of like the largest largest books like Harry Potter or something like that, you still see massive changes, and you go, "What have you done? Why?" and Something like that. And to to that point, so like Dahl, we have told, uh, have said, like disown this film. And his wife said something interesting in 1996 about him not liking most of his adaptations. And she said they always want to change a book storyline. What makes Hollywood think children want the endings changed for a film when they accept it in a book? So I think that's actually kind of true. And uh, just one more thing on, you know, for Sean and I, Tim Burton proved that this movie doesn't hold up because he tried to recreate this thing shot for shot, essentially. And it's awful. Yeah, it's not good. Um, just just to quickly put in, uh, the reason why they change it for Hollywood is simply because of uh, the power of the close up. When you read a book, you're not engaging directly with that person. But when suddenly you're in a close up and you're there and you're watching, you're seeing this person, it, it's totally different. It changes. If you look at um, Little Shop of Horrors, Mm. That film, he eats him at the end. Yeah. In the actual, in, in in the film, in the play, sorry, in the in the film itself, he doesn't eat him in the end. And the reason is because the close up, when they showed it to people in theater, it was too much and they didn't like it. Exactly. <laughs> test audiences were like, no, we don't like this unhappy yeah. ending. Um, and this is why you should never trust test audiences. Uh, so. <laughs> yeah, it, that's a weird thing about stats, right? Like you invite a hundred lunatics off a street and then you you know, uh, say, oh, these are representative of the American public. Like, so stupid. <laughs> no, they're just like 50 people who don't have a job to go to. Or they're like, <laughs> yeah, it's like friends of the producer. Um, Imagine 50 Daves in, a, in an audience. Nothing Boo! would come out. Nothing, nothing would come would out. Come yeah. out. Yeah. It would be, end of film. It'd be the end Crap! of film. <laughs> you know what? Actually, just think of 1971. There may not have been test audiences this year because the movies are actually a little bit more uh, challenging. Yeah. And, um yeah i was just talking to somebody on this other podcast a photographer and active participation that's a difficult thing in visual mediums you know so when we watch streaming or film you just kind of lay back and let it wash over you but in a book i don't picture gene wilder or johnny depp you know willy wonka's like a a shape i mean i will admit 
you know, Gandalf is probably always going to be like look exactly like Ian McKay. I mean, that's just what Gandalf looks like, right? But the old, white the old guy yeah. with the white beard, yeah. Yeah, but uh, for the most part, if you've read the book and you watch a film, you're just sitting there like, no, this is not. That's not even if it's a fairly faithful adaptation. My brain has created a story that I'm taking apart. And also, America's a bunch of plebs. You know, you know, <laughs> romance, right? Come on, going talk on about this guy. Happy endings. We, Come on. Continually. Uh, the Willy Wonka candy company that existed when I was growing up even. So after a series of mergers, it eventually became acquired by Nestle uh, in 1988. And because Nestle ruins everything, it was discontinued in 2015. Uh, the Tim Burton film, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, came out in 2005, which was apparently closer to the source material, but added that ridiculous backstory of his dad being a dentist. Just the setup, man. Yeah. There was a 2013 musical adaptation that played at Theater Royal Drury Lane. There's a 2017 Tom and Jerry full-length straight-to-video movie that's basically just the movie with Tom and Jerry like running around in it. Uh, <laughs> in 2014, the film was selected for preservation by the Library of Congress as being culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. Dave hates it when I bring this up, but I am going to bring up internet culture we do have the condescending wonka meme which is still used today uh and then as of january 2021 there is a new movie being worked on from a script by simon rich and directed by paul king who did the pannington movies uh it's set to come out in 2023 but i don't think anyone's been cast yet and then simultaneously, Netflix signed a deal with the Roll Doll Story Company to reimagine most of Doll's books. First up is a Wonka prequel, I think is what I understand it to be. Uh, or maybe that's what the movie is. Anyways, it doesn't matter. It's an animated show that's going to be directed by Taika Waititi. Uh, but I don't think they've announced a cast for that either. So we're going to get a lot of Wonka content in the next few years. Yeah, stay tuned to Wack Chat as they uh, fight. <laughs> Actually, yeah, we'll see if you... You guys survived the Wonka, the Wonka verse. Uh, That's right. <laughs> just, just a quick hating on Nestle. They're commodifying water. Those fucking oh, assholes. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, let's. Yeah, they're the ones buying Canadian lakes. Yes, because Stephen Harper worse. fucking so. I, let's Anyways, do this. We, let's we, get we, political. We, yeah, yeah, yeah no, gotta go. But fuck them. Let's go. I yeah, have let's to. Do. I have to like leave like three minutes ago. So <laughs> let's do this. That was uh. <laughs> That was Dave, Mitch, and Sean's review of this movie. Uh, what do you think, though? You can send feedback to Kyle and Dave vs the machine at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter or Instagram with the handle KDVSTM. If you want to see the entire list of films that we've watched and the ratings we've given, you can go to our Letterboxd page. And if you want to support us monetarily so that we can continue doing this podcast and not usher in the apocalypse again, you can go to our Patreon page. There's a link in the show notes of this episode. You can support for as low as a dollar a month. And of course, we do not want you to donate if it in any way causes you financial hardship. Something you can do for absolutely free, though, is to leave a rating and review on whatever app you use for podcasts. If people want to follow uh, you and see what you're up to, where can people find you online? Uh, your best bet is just to go straight onto YouTube and type in Whack Chat. It's movie time. We'll come straight up and hit that sub button. Yeah, they're active. Yeah, do it. And hit like, subscribe. opinionated. Well, oh, yeah. We forgot to disagree about Godzilla and King Kong. We'll, we'll talk right. about it again. You can talk yeah. about that <laughs> offline. So for our guests, if you had to rate this out of five, although this has nothing to do with our ratings, if you had to rate this out of five, what would you give it? One. One. <laughs> One for Sean. Uh, I'd give this a three. Okay, three. Uh, Dave, what are you giving this movie? Oh, I haven't actually thought of a number. I like one. One's a nice number. Oh my it's god! Usually You're the best. so ridiculous. Oh yeah. Okay, I'll give it a one point five. Thank How's you. That? Yeah. 
You're welcome, yeah. pal. That's for our <laughs> friendship. A 0.5 for our friendship. Gene Wilder deserves that 0.5. Um, I'm giving this way higher, way higher. I'm giving this a 4.5 because it's one of my what favorite movies. Wait, wait, I love wait. this. No, no, I can't. I can't accept that answer. <laughs> a four and a half? Yeah, I'm. I'm, I'm telling you, I love this movie and I like watching it. So oh it's a nine point five on IMDb. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, I mean that's go gun go. This I this I re I realize is again a personal rate in mine. I'm not sure. saying that this is like I would. I probably even wouldn't put this in like my top hundred films of all time. It's I just a not. personal favorite. But Dave, that means it's tying with the movie Shaft. So, would you do you think this is better or worse than Shaft? Well, worse, yeah. Okay. Well, yes. well, well Shaft. I'll, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that means then that entering in the list at our number five position, even though we've only talked about eleven films, but entering our list at the number five position is Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Four point five. <laughs> I'm just going to breeze past this. Let's see what our next uh, movie is that we get to watch, Dave. I'm more impressed that this is Willy Wonka's shaft. That's perfect. <laughs> that, no, that's a I crossover. Eat it. I eat it. Yeah, but you put anything that gets close to you in your mouth. This is another one of my favorites as a kid. We'll see if it holds up. It probably doesn't, but I'm going to look at it through rose-colored glasses. Uh, next week, we're going to watch Bedknobs and Broomsticks. Uh, good. And Angela Lansbury. Angel, yeah, I'm, I'm pro Angela Lansbury. We'll see which uh, cartoon's been murdered, and she Correct. has to solve have, the mystery. Have either of you seen that movie by any chance? Oh, uh, loads of times. Yeah, okay. watched it loads as a kid. Yeah, I saw it tons as a kid, and, and have probably not watched it in twenty something years now at this point. But <laughs> well, in Canada, they had the Sunday night. Uh, it was a Disney thing at six, and they showed that every six months or something. But uh, there's a reason why it doesn't exist either, Kyle. I'm expecting well, we'll another 4.5. This is awful. Well, we'll see. <laughs> How do I quit? Uh, How do I quit this? <laughs> well, let me introduce you to Willy Wonka's shaft over here, Dave. Everyone wants to be Grandpa Joe when they grow up.